if you're here for the first time this morning or if you're back after being away for a while, we are in the middle of a message series that we're calling Transformers, and we're wrapping up the book of Romans that we actually started about a year ago. And uh, just to get you a little bit caught up, let me give you a quick review. The book of Romans, chapters 1 through 11, is all about the gospel, and it tells us what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And when we got to Romans chapter 12 a few weeks ago, we talked about how the gospel transforms us from the inside out. The, the gospel changes our identity. We find forgiveness in Christ. We find uh, justification. We find righteousness, salvation. All of these things that Jesus does for us, gives to us as a gift. And then in Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul who wrote this book takes a turn and he begins to tell us how transformed people live. And so we've called this message series Transformers. Uh, we've talked about what it means to live a transformed life of love what it means to live a transformed life of service, and and different topics. And today, when we get to Romans chapter 13, we're going to talk about how transformed people submit to our governmental leaders. And so that's what the Donald Trump uh, video was all about. It was an attempt at humor, but I didn't see many of you laughing. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about Donald Trump. Don't answer that question. We're, we're in dangerous territory there. Uh, but we're going to talk about what it means to, uh, to, to be Christians living in this world and uh, living under a government like, like ours. So that's kind of where we're going today. Uh, when I began working with this material and, and began interacting with Romans chapter 13 uh, this week, I was thinking back to an experience that I had in Washington, D.C. I think it was three years ago or so, uh, Chris had a conference in Washington, D.C., and she had to go to classes for the hospital, and her trip was all expenses paid, so I tagged along, bought my own airplane ticket. And while she was in classes in Washington, I hung out at the Smithsonian Museum. How many of you have been to Washington, D.C., done the Smithsonian, all that kind of stuff? Awesome, isn't it? And one of my favorite experiences while we were there, was seeing the Star-Spangled Banner. I don't know if any of you were able to see that when you were in Washington, D.C., but uh, here's a picture of the Star-Spangled Banner. That's not my photo. Uh, the room where the Star-Spangled Banner is housed, uh, it, it's kept in such low light that it's impossible to get a good photograph of it because the, the flag that the song, the, the national anthem, was inspired by. This flag is about 200 years old, and it's deteriorating. It's falling apart. So as a museum, they're trying to preserve it, and one of the things that causes fabric to deteriorate is light. So when we walked into this room where the, where the flag is housed, the light was very, very low, and it was this blue color that's supposed to not damage the flag fibers at all. But it was an incredible experience. This flag, the picture of it doesn't look incredibly impressive, but it's a giant flag. This flag would fill this room from corner to corner. It's that big. And uh, it, it was just so impressive. And you walk into this dimly lit room, you see this giant American flag, and the national anthem is playing quietly in the background. And I can remember, I was just filled with such a sense of patriotism. 
I'm proud to be an American. I wanted to sing patriotic songs and salute. You, you know what I'm talking about? Every once in a while, I just have these waves of patriotism. Usually happens when I've been traveling out of the country and I come back to America and I always say, thank God I live in America because we're just so fortunate to live in this country. We're really blessed to live in, in the United States of America. It's, a, it's, a, it's an extraordinary place that we live in. But at the same time, if you're like me, you may feel a, a, a certain sense of uh, disgust with what's happening in America. You may feel a sense of frustration. You may feel a sense of disapproval or even anger at what's happening in our country. Uh, if you're like most Americans, you're very concerned about the direction that our nation is going. In fact, this morning when I was, uh, when I was going through my message notes, I, I just had a, a harebrained thing and I did a Google search real quickly to find out what the current approval rating is of our governmental leaders. Do you know that the American approval rating of Congress has dipped down to 9%? of voters approve of Congress. And so that leaves the other 91% of Americans who don't think Congress is doing a very good job. And, and so, you know, we have these conflicting emotions sometimes, don't we? This, this patriotism that, that may come from time to time. Uh, some of us may feel anger. Some of us might even feel apathetic. Some of us may feel like, you know, I am such a small fish in a big, big pond. There's nothing I can do to change anything. So why even engage with what's going on in America? And especially during this political cycle, I know some of us are just tempted to just turn the TV off and disengage altogether. So I'm not sure what your feelings are, what your emotions are, but I'm hoping that our teaching today, as we walk through part of Romans 13, I'm hoping that it will help all of us develop a good strategy for living well as Christians in America today. So if you've got your Bibles with you, would you turn to Romans chapter 13? Uh, you can use an electronic device if you want to, or it's up on the screen if you just want to follow along up there. Some of the scriptures today will not be on the screen, so you might want to have your Bible at the ready. But we're going to start right at the beginning of Romans chapter 13 and, and jump into what the Apostle Paul has to say to us here. All right. You ready to go? Ready to go? All right. There we go. It always takes you a minute. Okay, here we go. Verse 1. Paul says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, this is kind of a tough couple of verses, because uh, I, I think if you are feeling a little negative about your government, the last thing you want to hear is Paul the Apostle saying you need to obey everything that's going on in your country. And, uh, and so this might be a little tough, but there's a couple of things that I want you to know. First of all, and this is our big idea today, the big idea is this, government, according to these verses, was God's idea. Government was God's idea. 
And as we take a look at these two verses in depth, I want you to see here that God intended for human beings to live a life of structure and order and for there to be some system of government that keeps order in society. God's will was never for people to live in chaos and anarchy and that sort of thing. Government was God's idea. Now, uh, one of the things that I read when I was studying this was, was this idea. See how this sets with you, because it's kind of interesting. One commentator I read said, those who exercise authority on earth do so by delegation from God. Therefore, to disobey them is to disobey God. Those are strong words. But let me unpack this for you a little bit. And if you wouldn't mind, uh, Shane, would you go back one slide? Uh, Yeah, to that one. If you just scan these two verses really quickly again, you'll see that one of the key words in these two verses is the word authorities, authorities. And, uh, and I chose this particular translation. This is the NIV because I felt like this translation gives us a good English equivalent better than some of the other translations that I often use. And it's because they use that word authorities in, this, in these two verses. Now go ahead to that, that slide you were on just a minute ago, Shane. Here's the word for authority. The New Testament is written in Greek, and, and in the Greek language, the word for authority is exousia. You want to say that out loud with me? Exousia. Oh, see, now you speak Greek. Excellent. Well done. Uh, exousia, and it means the power of government. means the power of government. And so when it says that the authorities have been established by God, it's talking about the institution, not the individual. And this is very important for us to understand. Some of the other translations, depending on what translation your Bible is written in, it may imply that the individuals who are in place have been placed there by God. That's not what Paul intended to convey. The institution of government, the structure of government was God's idea and he invented the whole idea of government. He wants us to live in some sort of orderly society that has good leaders who are exercising legal judgments. But it's not talking about individuals have been placed there by God. Why is this important? It's because we see corrupt individuals rise to power all the time. For example, think about Adolf Hitler. If we believe that God has placed individuals in positions of power and and that God is in control of all of that, absolutely, every individual was chosen by God, then we have to acknowledge that Adolf Hitler was chosen by God to exterminate the Jews all over Europe. It doesn't make sense. It violates the very nature and character of God. So it's not individuals, it's the institution of government that was created by God, and it was God's idea. So when we see elected officials here in America enacting laws that are contrary to God's revealed law in the Bible, it's not because God willed it. It's important that we understand that. The people that are enacting unrighteous laws are in offices that God willed, but they are not necessarily governing in submission to God's will. And we're going to come back to this in a minute. But let's keep reading. Verse 3. Paul goes on, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. 
For the one in authority is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Now, I had an interesting experience this last week that will illustrate this very well. Paul is saying that if we are lawbreakers, we ought to be afraid. When Chris and I went down to Boise last week, um, I, I was looking at the map and I wanted to get to Chris's dad just as quickly as we could. And I was aware that they have just raised the speed limit on our freeways in Montana to 80. And Idaho, uh, a short time ago, raised the speed limit in Idaho to 80 as well. So I decided instead of driving through the mountains like we usually do to go to Boise, we would take the freeway. And I thought maybe we could make really good time just sticking to the freeways and driving really, really fast. And so that was my strategy. And when we got to about Idaho Falls, we ran into traffic. Who knew that Idaho has, has traffic, uh, you know, and rush hour and that kind of stuff? Uh, but we got to Idaho Falls, and between Idaho Falls and Pocatello, it was bumper-to-bumper traffic. Sometimes we were stopped on the freeway, and at other times, most of the time between Idaho Falls and Pocatello, we were going about 40 miles an hour. It drove me crazy. So on the way home, uh, on Tuesday of this last week, Chris and I got her dad back home about three o'clock in the afternoon, and then we had to get all the way back to Bozeman. Chris had to work early the next day. We were anxious to get home. So I said to Chris, I think we'll just take the back roads because I can make really good time on those back roads driving through the mountains of Montana. So we got up around Arco. If you've ever driven through southern Idaho, you'll know where I'm talking about. Idaho City, Arco, that whole area, you know, it's just desolate country. The road just goes straight, and they're good, nice paved roads, but there's no human beings. You just don't encounter anybody. You know, there's, there's no towns, there's no people, there's nobody on the roads. Speed limit was 65, and uh, I just put the pedal to the metal. And... Uh, And as soon as I started speeding and and my speed just kept creeping up and creeping up and at one point I leaned over to Chris and I said, "Um, Chrissy, if I get a speeding ticket, are you okay with that? And and she said, well, yeah, because I really want to get home a little earlier. I just want to get to bed. I want to get some sleep tonight. We were both exhausted. We just wanted to get home. So I just kept kept going faster and faster and faster. And... uh, and, and then, you know what happens when you're doing that, if you, I'm certain none of you ever <laughs> exceed the speed limit, um, but you know what happens, you start, you know, your eagle eyes are looking out for the cops, right? And every little car that has a ski rack on top of it, you know, I'm pulling <laughs> off the gas, you know. <laughs> Why? Because I'm afraid of getting caught. I'm breaking the law on purpose, knowingly, and I'm afraid of getting caught, right? It's terror for those who disobey. And this is exactly what Paul is saying, is if you break the law, you ought to be afraid. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Now, I thought it was deeply ironic that I was going way over the speed limit on Tuesday, and Wednesday I start my sermon prep, and I'm reading these scriptures and feeling this horrible condemnation (laughs) from the Bible. We'll come back to this. Let me tell you a little bit about what was happening in, in uh, the Roman world when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome. 
you're probably aware that in the first century, persecution against Christians became just unbearable. But when, when Paul was writing this letter, it was really prior to the time when that all began happening. Rome, when this letter was written, was really a very tolerant place. Christianity was exploding. Paul and the other apostles were traveling all over Asia, planting churches, finding favor. The church, Christianity was exploding, and and Rome was not at all opposed to it. The Roman system of religion, they believed in many, many gods and and many paths to God, so they didn't mind having Christians and, and the expansion of Christianity. And so uh, for Paul to say, obey the law and, and do well, it wasn't difficult for the Roman citizens at that time to, to, to swallow this. But later on, things changed for Christians in the Roman world. Later on, Caesar came into power, a Caesar came into power, who wanted the people to worship him as God. And of course, Christians rose up and said, we only worship Jesus as God. We're not going to worship Caesar as God. And that's when the the Christians began being thrown to lions. There were certain uh, governmental leaders who would uh, strap Christians to big poles and light them on fire and have parties, drunken debauchery, while Christians were burning to death, illuminating the parties. This became the pattern later on. And it's interesting that the Apostle Peter, at that time, wrote something that's really parallel to what we're reading here in Romans 13. Peter, in, in chapter 2 of the book, 1 Peter, said this, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he's appointed. Isn't that interesting that he would say that even at the time when Christians were being brutally persecuted? And later on in chapter 4, he said this, If you are insulted, because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. But if you suffer, it must not be for murder or stealing or making trouble or breaking other kinds of laws. Even in that very hostile governmental system, Peter was saying it is God's will for you to submit to the government authorities. And so as I was reading this and reflecting on my speeding incident through southern Idaho, I didn't get a ticket, by the way. Uh, as I was reflecting on this, I was, I was really asking myself, why is it important for us to obey the law. Why is it important for us as Christians to be people who do not just pick and choose which laws we are going to obey? Well, I believe it's because of this. This is what I've come up with. Christians who say no to the unrighteous laws of our land will be heard more effectively by those in power if we have been faithful to say yes to the righteous laws of the land. Let me put that in a real simple sentence that's on your notes. Here's what it really boils down to. We lose our influence when we're hypocrites. We lose our influence when we're hypocrites. And we see this happening all over the country right now because Christians, by and large, have lost their credibility because we're perceived as people who want to impose laws on other people, but we don't want to follow them ourselves. It's a huge problem. 
If we want to be people who influence what happens in America, we have to be people who do not succumb to the temptation to be hypocrites. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's critically important. We lose our influence when we're hypocrites. Let's go back to Romans 13 and keep reading, starting at verse 6. Paul goes on. Here's where it gets really ouchy. He said, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe revenue, then pay revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to pay taxes, okay? It's not fun. It's not where I want to put my money. Uh, and, And yet here Paul is saying, if you owe taxes, you should pay your taxes. And it might be surprising you to you to learn that this was also what Jesus taught. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus had an encounter with the Pharisees and some other leaders who actually came to him. They wanted to trap him. They wanted to find him teaching something that would make him guilty of breaking the law so that they could prosecute him according to their law. And they they addressed this issue of taxes. And they said, Jesus, what do you teach your followers? Should they pay taxes? And Jesus did this very interesting thing. He said, bring me a coin. And I want to just ask you to do the same thing. If you've got a wallet or a purse, would you just pull out a little money out of your purse? Or in your pocket, if you've got some change, pull out some money. Quarters, nickels, dollars, hundreds. This is not an offering. You don't have to be afraid. Um, (laughs) It's not what we're doing. But just just pull something out. What you got? No, you're not going to give it to me. I just want you to look at it. What have you got? You've got some coins, some dollars, whatever. The ladies' shimmets are just passing stuff (laughs) down the row. (laughs) <laughs> all right take a look at what you have whose whose picture do you see on your money george washington okay who else ben franklin all right nice we all know who to hit up for lunch after church no speeding all right does anybody have just a normal american who was never a governmental leader on your money okay no it, it, it all has government 2,000 years after this story about Jesus, it's the same thing. Jesus took this coin, it was a denarius, and Caesar's picture was on that coin. And Jesus said, listen, give to Caesar what, what belongs to Caesar. It's his picture on the money, it must be his. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. What Jesus was saying is, it's the right thing to do to pay your taxes. But here's the deal, and I want you to hear me. Christians who break the law, Christians who cheat on their taxes, who threaten government employees or kill people in the name of God, bring dishonor not only on the Christian community, but to Jesus himself. When we're hypocrites, we ruin, we lose our influence because we're breaking the law. So Tuesday I'm speeding through southern Idaho. Wednesday, I'm working on my Sunday message, interacting with these passages from Romans chapter 13. Thursday morning, we had leadership double shot here at 6.30 in the morning here at the church building, and many of you were here. We had a great time. Dean did a great job teaching, by the way. And um, 
So I was up early like I usually am. Chris goes to work usually around 6 o'clock. I wanted to leave about the same time because I wanted to get here early, make sure everything was ready to go for double shot. And so Chris left the house first, and about five minutes later, I went out to the garage and, and went to start my truck, and the battery was dead in the garage. And it, there, I mean, there was just nothing. It wasn't even doing that click, click, click thing. I mean, it was dead. So I called Chris up. She was five minutes away. I said, Chris, come home. You're going to have to give me a jump because I got to get to church. And so she came home. We attached the jumper cables. That battery was not charging. It was just dead. So I said, uh, Chris, I think we'll have time. I'll take you to the hospital to work, and then I'll drive to church. And I might be a couple of uh, minutes late, but I'll call ahead, tell people what's happened. So I drove Chris to work, and the whole time I'm thinking, what's the fastest way for me to get from Bozeman Deaconess Hospital to Four Corners? And my strategy was to go down Kagi, south of the hospital, jump on Stucky, that, those back farm roads, right? The speed limit's 45, but I figured I could do 65 at that time in the morning. And, and I'd pick up some time, you know? And so this, this is where, where my thoughts are, right? Because I'm a slow learner. And so, um, so I drop Chris off, and I, get, I, I go down Kagi, and, and there was quite a bit of traffic. So I turn onto Stucky, and there's this old farm pickup truck that, that turns onto Stucky right in front of me. And he is going 45 on the dot. And I'm following him, and you know what the first thing that comes to my mind? God just gave me a way of escape from temptation. Because I was prepared to be a hypocrite again, right? I was going to just tear down those old back farm roads and break the speed limit right after I'd been called out in, in Romans chapter 13 the day before. And God gave me a way of escape. And I'm looking at that dotted line thinking, I can go around this truck. And seriously, I thought to myself, I would be so dishonoring God if I break the law again. And, and it, I'm, I mean, it's funny, but... Um, <laughs> But at the same token, I, I really thought God's really trying to get my attention. He put that truck there to get my attention. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and I realized this is something I have to pay attention to. And I started thinking, I'm driving real slow, <laughs> frustrated, and I'm thinking, why is this important? Why is this important to God? And I remember the last time I got a speeding ticket, it's been a, a, a number of years ago, it's been a long time. Uh, but I remember the last time I got a speeding ticket, they pulled me over and I gave the officer my license and he said, thank you, Mr. Michaels, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and I got to thinking, you know what, if I break the law and I'm pulled over by a police officer and he gives me a ticket, I'm contributing to the perception that Christians are hypocrites in our communities. I'm contributing to that police officer thinking pastors think they're above the law. Pastors think they don't have to obey the law. Christians are just, it just reinforces that perception that is so widespread in our community that we're just a bunch of hypocrites. And listen, if I want to be influential in this community, I can't afford to let my perception be that I'm a hypocrite. I have to change my behavior. Do you hear what I'm saying? And we all have that same responsibility. But let me change the topic just a little bit and ask this question. As Christians, how do we respond when the government authorities don't uphold godly justice? What do we do when things are so wrong in our country? 
And my mind goes to Acts chapter 5. And there's a great story in Acts chapter 5 in which the apostles are, are, are proclaiming Jesus and they're preaching Jesus. People are repenting and they're embracing Jesus and they're leaving Judaism and the old ways of legalism and they're coming to know freedom in, in Christ and they're joining the church. And it's just an extraordinarily exciting time. And the Jewish authorities come to the apostles and they say, by the power of the law and under threat of prosecution, you have to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Do you know what the apostles said? I'll read it to you from from Acts chapter 9. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. And here's the deal, friends. There is a time There is a time to obey God rather than human authority. There is a time for that. It's called civil disobedience. When we say, listen, the laws of the land are so corrupt, I will not obey these laws. And when our Christian faith is coming into conflict with laws that our government has enacted, there is a time for civil disobedience. But this is what I'm absolutely convinced of this week. Our civil disobedience will be absolutely ineffective if we're not respectful of the fact that government authority was established by God. And if we allow ourselves to be perceived as hypocrites, we will never be able to change anything. So I want to wrap up with this. And this is in your notes. As Americans, we are so blessed to live in a nation where we the people have the power to shape our government. In fact, we are the government. We are the government. Do you know how fortunate we are to live in America? I I don't know how many of you have ever had an opportunity to travel to a third world country. Uh, This summer, Chris and I uh, went to Bali, Indonesia. It was a wonderful experience. And of course, Bali is a resort island, but it's still a third world country. And as wonderful as our experience was, let me tell you, as soon as we stepped off the plane in Seattle, Washington, I I just was so thankful to be back in America. We are so blessed to live where we live. And we have the opportunity to be a part of a governmental system that is so unique, not only in the world, but it's unique in the history of mankind. And, and I believe that it's so important for us as Christians to be involved in our government system because we are the government. As an American citizen, listen, you have the obligation to vote. And as a Christian, it's foolish not to vote. So today I want to encourage you, will you engage in our governmental system? You, you need to register to vote. You need to read the newspapers. You need to... To, to become educated so you know what the issues are and you need to figure out how you can best influence your government. As I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking, you know, I, I, I um, am very interested in national politics. I, I enjoy watching the presidential races. I enjoy the congressional races, but I don't pay much attention to what's happening locally. Um, and so when there's local elections, sometimes I miss those elections and I don't vote. And I was thinking, you know what? That's foolish. As a Christian, I ought to educate myself and I ought to vote. And if you think about the numbers, you know, I'm just one in millions of people in America voting for the president. But here in Gallatin County, 
I have a lot more influence. My vote goes further, so I ought to be engaging even on a local level. As Christians, we ought to be leveraging our faith to the best degree we can to shape the government because we are the government. So don't let that opportunity slip you by. Hear what I'm saying? All right, let me give you some homework, and then we're going to pray together in just a second. Uh, four things this morning. Number one, I want to encourage you, and this is that ouch, I want to encourage you to submit to the law. Submit to the law. It's not God's will for us to be lawless people, friends. Um, and I'm preaching to myself this morning, stop speeding. If you're like me and you have a bad habit of putting the pedal to the metal, listen, we need to stop speeding. Anybody need to confess along with me? Okay. Uh, stop speeding. Couple of other things. Couple of other things. Stop using recreational drugs that are against the law. Just stop it. I know you might think the laws are stupid or you think the laws don't apply to you, but that's not the point. You need to obey the law. Stop doing it. Turn to your neighbor and say, stop it. Stop. All right. Some of you needed to hear that right there. Here's another one. This, now I'm hitting home. I'm going to hit your wallets here. Stop cheating on your taxes. Okay? Stop it. Turn to your neighbor and say, stop it. Stop taking money. Stop taking money under the table that doesn't get reported on your W-2 and cheating the government out of your taxes. You're a Christian person. You ought to obey the law. Stop it. Okay? That's, that's number one on your homework. They get easier. Here's number two. Number two, get involved. I really do want to encourage you to get involved. Educate yourself. Register to vote. Participate in the political process. Find something you believe in and participate. Um, one of the things that Chris and I have really been impressed with the last couple of years, my assistant Pam uh, is, is involved with Zoe Care here in the Gallatin Valley. And Zoe Care is a wonderful ministry that provides alternatives to families that have unplanned pregnancies. I'm not sure that they're involved politically in any way, but they're a wonderful, they're making a huge impact in the Gallatin Valley in, in providing families alternatives to abortion. And so Chris and I have started supporting them financially. Uh, several people from our church are involved in volunteering for that organization. It's a great way to make a difference and be a part of something that can change the course of of human life. So let me encourage you to get involved. Number three, I want to encourage you to pray for your government leaders. Pray for your government leaders. It's so easy to just get a bad attitude and swear it at the television, right? <laughs> Does no good. But I believe that prayer changes things. Do you believe prayer changes things? Okay. Then why don't we pray for our government leaders? If we believe that prayer changes things, we need to pray for our government leaders. And then number four, I want to encourage you to stay focused on the mission of Jesus. Stay focused on the mission of Jesus. Here's what I want you to think about. As important as the political process is, and as important as it is for Christians to be engaged, at the end of the day, it's the mission of Jesus of changing hearts that's really going to make lasting change in our country. Do you know what I'm saying? When people come to know Jesus, they change from the inside out. 
We can make good laws, and good laws are important. We need good laws. We have to have order in society. But really, change that lasts comes from knowing Jesus and being changed by the grace of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. So stay on mission. That's the most important thing. My good friend Dan Serdahl, he's one of our overseers here at Connect, and he says often, the kingdom of God will never arrive on Air Force One. Think about that. Think about that. The kingdom of God comes through knowing Jesus Christ. So stay on mission. And Jesus, this morning, I'm going to begin by just asking you to change our hearts, including mine. You've just spoken to me so clearly this week through the, uh, through the interesting timing of, of these speeding incidents along with interacting with the Bible. You've spoken to me so clearly, and I sense that this morning you're speaking to lots of us. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to say yes instead of making excuses. Lord, help us to recognize that government is your idea and you designed us to be people who respect the law instead of disrespecting the law. So change our hearts, Lord, so that we will say yes, not just to you, but to the laws that we live under. And Lord, I pray that you will expand our influence, Lord, as Christians help us to be the kinds of people who can shape the direction of this nation. Lord, help us more and more and more to to point people in the direction of Jesus and to real, true, lasting life change. And this morning, we want to lift up our friends and neighbors and fellow connectors, Lord, that have needs. We pray for healing We pray for transformation. We pray for forgiveness. We pray for restoration of relationships. We pray for financial miracles. And Jesus, we just ask you to meet us here. And as we bring our needs to you, God, we trust you to meet them. And we pray this this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen.